Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Harbage, your host, and with me is my co-host, Mr. Brandon Noway of Sports Splits Pod. That's right. You can find Brandon at Sports Splits Pod on Twitter, myself, Mark, at the Baseball Biz. Okay, Sports Splits Pod, what's going on in your life? What's happening in the world? It's a fantastic day, Mark. The Yankees lost a series, although it was to the Red Sox. More on that later. And also, tonight is Game 1 of the Sternberg Cup Final. And yes, I have renamed the Stanley Cup to the Sternberg Cup. Sternberg Cup Final? What, what, what do you mean? Well, in case you've been living under a rock, the Lightning didn't make the finals. And we we live in Tampa Bay, as do the Lightning. But they're playing the Canadians, or Canadiens, depending on how you prefer to pronounce it. And they play in Montreal. Oh, so you're talking about a Tampa team that plays here most of the time, but now it's going to Montreal. And that's therefore Stu, right? Yep. The the winner gets Sternberg's affection. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's worth something. something I, I have no idea what that is at the moment, but uh, <laughs> way to go, Champa Bay. And thank you for reminding us that while this is a baseball show and a special raise-up edition, we do want to celebrate the other champions of the Tampa Bay area being, of course, former and soon to be again Stanley Cup winners, the uh, Lightning, and, of course, Super Bowl winners. And we're talking about those champions as well, the Bucks. But today, today we're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays. And my gosh, it was time to set the world on fire, or at least put a few tenders on a smoldering fire. And what I mean by that, Brandon, well, you know, let's face it. About a week ago, we were kind of scratching our head and saying, daggone, seven losses in a row? Jeez, and crackers, who is this team? You know, are we are we going to be, uh, is the Orioles going to be looking at climbing up over our back before it's all said and done? <laughs> okay, Brandon, well, you know, like I said, it was a crazy, crazy week. After losing that seven-game losing streak, the Rays came home and they made a difference, so we had a good series with the Red Sox, taking that. And then we also took the series with the Angels. And that was needed. We needed a boost of energy. We needed something to really bring the Rays back. And, of course, one of those things was a brand-new player. The number one prospect for the last two years, Mr. Wander Franco. Yeah, that was a, a, a big moment for him. He's getting his debut in a really big series, even though it is a June. Hit a three-run homer, and unfortunately it didn't result in a win, but the Rays did go on to win the series, which was a big series, especially going into the Angels and Nationals series where, you know, if you're slumping, you can't really sleep on them anyways, and that could really put you in a hole if you were to lose the Red Sox series as well. Indeed, and with Wander, it was amazing watching him, especially early on, because one of the things we heard about him from the minor leagues coming up in Durham was his eye for the ball. You know, I thought of him as, at the beginning anyway, somebody like uh, Yandy Diaz because of the attention he would give to where it went. And, but the rest after that, he, he's kind of slowed down. But it's not because he hasn't made contact. He's, he's done a good job making contact. It's just that it hasn't really been going out of the park. And not every contact has to go out of the park. But the outfielders where he's been hitting them, they've been catching them. Let's see now, Brandon. He's got uh, 22 at-bats. 
and it gives him a 136 average. Ouch. But talk about chart samplings, and it's still early. That's it. That's early. Yeah, it's only been a week, you know. And like you're saying, it's not like he's just like striking out every single time. At least he's putting the ball in play. And yes, it's just going right to the fielders, which, you know, that, that'll happen. But hopefully it doesn't prolong too long, and he just keeps putting the ball in play because if he just keeps doing what he's doing, they're eventually going to find the holes, find the gaps, and hopefully lead to more success. And I think we'll see that for me. You, you know, from this homestand, um, I would say probably – the most exciting game for me was the one that actually had the, the lowest scoring. And that was the Thursday night game against the Red Sox, you know, at the Trop. They had Nick Pavetta up there, man, the Red Sox pitcher. That guy, he just knocked my, he knocked my socks off watching uh, an impressive 6.2 innings. I mean, the man had zero hits, zero runs. He did walk two people. But, my gosh, it was amazing to watch him. I wish I'd. Had my notes here as far as how many pitches, but it was minimal. He was on top of that game. And, so, you know, after they pulled him, like I said, after about, uh, what did I say, 6.2 innings, they brought in a, a series of other pitchers and things didn't work out as well. Oh, and Waka, you know, our pitcher, he was up there. He did pretty good. I mean, five innings, he had seven strikeouts. So it was an effective game watching some effective pitching, which I enjoy. And this is in the era of, let me check and see if he got any sticky stuff. So <laughs> if there's any, yeah, I'm sorry. These pitchers are just talented. So it was it was great to watch that. Yeah, hopefully this outing gives Waka the confidence going forward because he he really hasn't been that impressive this year so far. He's been, I mean, just being generous, maybe a little bit below average. And that's putting it lightly. But hopefully this does give him the confidence going forward into the second half of the season. And I kind of have the running joke of everything exciting that the Rays do, I miss. Well, the, <laughs> that one nothing game, I left the TV for a minute, and guess what happened when I walked away? <laughs> what, what could have happened? The only action, and Margot scored. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was crazy. Uh, but but what you were saying a moment ago about Waka too, I geez, I agree. I, I mean, if I see him or Yarborough, I see they're the pitcher that are going to be up there the most. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, please let them be on their game day. And certainly, I feel that strongly more so. I think about Waka, but I was impressed also in that same game with two new, fairly new guests. Fire Rising's uh, been here with us a little bit, uh, but Matt Whistler. Oof. Both of those guys did a great job of, of holding, you know, the, the Red Sox from scoring anything. Then we saw our good friend, Mr. KK, you know. Before we got to Marco, you know, there was a play earlier in the game with Kiermaier. And let's see, I don't remember who. I don't know if hit the ball way out there. And I think Kiermaier had an idea where it was going to go. He caught it, and he threw that ball from way out there all the way into the home plate with Mejia there. And at this point, Renfro, who had been on base, was running to home. And Mejia got the ball from Kiermaier, and bam, he was out. It was just an exciting moment to watch it. I mean, that was that was one of a couple of the most exciting moments for me during that game. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a great play to watch. And, you know, I love when 
Kiermaier or, or any outfielder cuts down a runner at home, I think that's really exciting to watch. Well, KK brought it. You know, there's no doubt about that. I love KK. <laughs> he is such a he is such a player that at the top of the pinnacle and expectations of mine are still high for him at every game. But boy, did he come through there. But let's go back to that. The only run, the only score point, if you will, on the game. And that was from Manuel Margot. Sheesh. In a post-game interview, I think, with uh, Trisha Whitaker, he said something about being aggressive, you know. And he knew he had to be aggressive. Uh, because it's a conversation with Kevin Cashley, and said when he came in there between uh, from third to home, how'd you feel? He said, "Well, I was betting on his speed." But let's let's talk about how Margot got there. He starts out with a base hit, so okay, you get to first. I was hoping more Margot. I was hoping you hit a home run. Yeah, you don't hit a home run every time you get up here. He does pretty well. Then Wendell gets up. Joey Wendell gets up there, and. Margot steals second. The Red Sox catcher, he throws the ball to second as quick as he can, and he overthrows. Margot jumps up and makes his way all the way to third. Now, I think Wendell may have actually got on base, and and Margot wasn't going to run run in at that point because it moved real quickly. But Mejia comes up to the plate. And then it happens. A wild pitch. And Margot takes <laughs> takes full advantage of it. He speeds his way into that home plate and a little bit of a crash, but he comes in and basically he wins the game on a wild pitch. I can only wonder what the scorekeeper how he marked that that play down. And it's something that we talked about in the offseason that we wanted to see more from the Rays is being more aggressive on the base pass. You know, sometimes it can backfire in your face and, you know, that just happens. But look what happened here. Margot was aggressive. He stole second. And that led to the catcher to rush throw and overthrow the the guy covering second. And, and that wound up leading to a run. And it was the only run. So that was the win for the Rays. All from being aggressive. Exactly, and that's one of the things Margo was saying. He's he was going to be aggressive, and I I know Cash encourages that. But uh, it wasn't a walk off home run; it was a walk off wild pitch. And I congratulate Margo and the entire Rays team for one keeping that score down to nothing on the Red Sox, and also for the initiative to be as aggressive as they are with stealing bases. Like you said, sometimes it doesn't work out. But it's been working out pretty well all all this year. Here's what Kevin Cash had to say about Margot. Manny did a good job. I mean, there's some familiarity there with Barnes and facing the Red Sox and what tendencies they show or don't show. Uh, and Manny was ready to go. Well, I'm, I'm betting on his speed um, to get there if the ball trickles away. Um, you know, Vasquez is, is really good behind the plate. Tough pitch to handle. Just got away far enough. And then at, after, once he scored, you're just hoping that nobody got hurt. Mark, Margo has, has just been a great addition to this team. And in many ways, I look at him like Joey Wendell. I, I think sometimes he's an unsung hero. He tends to be forgotten. And just like Brandon Lau, 
national broadcaster still don't know how to say Margot's name. Margot, I hear that. It's like, oh, I cringe again. Please, people, please. There's pronunciation guides for the press to actually pay attention to. But Margot was just amazing. Yeah, he is. And, you know, maybe he just doesn't get the recognition because he plays for the Rays. And, you know, he doesn't do anything flashy or spectacular. But, I mean, he he produces and that's what matters most. That indeed. And, you know, while we talk, we're talking here, probably belaboring the whole Red Sox thing a little bit too much. I did feel like that was a great game for, for all the performances on both sides. Veta just, you know, I marveled at what he was able to do. But then, then, after going ahead and taking that series from the Yankees, we face the Angels. Joe Madden returns to the trial. I think it's been a couple of years with his Angels. And just like I was looking for Pavetta, I was also looking for Otani because here's the guy. I thought, as much as I hate to have to face that talent, man, is it something to watch. I was a little disappointed that he wasn't going to be pitching while he was here. But, man, did he deliver right off the bat, truly. His first, what, at bat in that one game, bam, major home run. Man, if he hit that that ball any harder, I think he would have literally brought the roof down of the place. And, you know, it, it does suck that we didn't get to see him pitch, but, you know, maybe maybe that was a bit of a blessing in disguise. Now, that hit, was that the one? Let's see. It went uh, at a speed of 116 miles per hour? I believe so. I don't think the camera was able to actually capture where that ball was going because it was so high. I was expecting to see a penetration of the Tropicana roof. But it did go up there and hit off the D-ring. I thought it may have even actually gone over the catwalk. Yeah, I saw it hit the ring, at least on the one angle I saw. And I originally thought it was going to clear the ring and then hit the scoreboard, which could have been interesting. You could have had like a big, a couple of black dots on the video board from where the ball hit. But <laughs> it didn't. It hit the ring. And unfortunately, that roof is still standing. He could have helped get us to a new uh, domed field somewhere. <laughs> preferably not preferably not in Montreal, as you were stating earlier. Well, it was interesting, too. I mean, the Rays did a fantastic job. It was much more than Margot. It was much more than Kiermaier's arm. Uh, Zunino did some great stuff as well, some home runs. Lau had some, uh, Brandon Lau had uh, some home runs. I was really, really excited about that. But I was also surprised at some of the sloppy sloppy fielding by the Angels. And some of it, I don't think many of those players, maybe they hadn't been here yet, you know, uh, talking about the Angels, and hadn't really got the trop effect, about the, the trop effect being able to see a ball when it goes up there and looking, trying to see a dirty ball against a dirty white roof. <laughs> even, even G-Man Choi had a problem with uh, one of them recently, but... There was some real sloppy, sloppy fielding, I thought, on their part. Yeah, we hear it every time a, a new team comes into the trough. You know, the new teams, they, they don't know what it's like to play in this dome. Or or every time we get a national game here, the one time, like every 10 years, the, yeah. the announcers are like, you know, it's a the roof is the same color as the ball. So that really causes problems for the fielders. <laughs> At the, every broadcast, you could play a drinking game with it. Too true. Too true. Okay, man. Well, let's see. What's uh, Oh, you know, after seeing our guest play, I was flicking back and forth to some other games. 
this past weekend. One of them was after we had defeated Boston in the series, watching them go back home and play another ALS team and our good friends from New York there at Fenway. Uh, let's see, Saturday night, uh, we got to see another former Ray, Nate Ivaldi. Nate, who I absolutely love him. By the way, I got a bobblehead <laughs> the other day. Nate Ivaldi, he pitched a no-run game through seven innings. He pitched, I think it was a 100, 108 pitches, and then the 109th pitch, Mr. DJ LeMahieu got a hold of it, and it went out of the park. Well, it went. He was a home run. <laughs> Maybe he didn't go out of the park. Yeah, Nate. Uh, so yeah, the 109th pitch was bam. It was DJ LeMahieu coming to the plate, and nobody wants to face that guy. Unfortunately, DJ did get a home run. I, I found myself at. Uh, what I want to say, I, I found myself conflicted over who I wanted to win that game. You know, one, I'd like to see Boston go down a couple notches because I want to see the Rays maintain the number one position in the AL East. But then they, they've got Nate Eovaldi up there, man. I got Nate. I want to see him win, you know. So I, my money was on him, my, my time, and I, I want to see him take that game. I, I just root for chaos in these situations. I mean, we talked earlier <laughs> earlier this morning. I enjoyed Twitter because, you know, the fire Aaron Boone chants were ringing loud and proud on Twitter all day yesterday and quite the sight to see. And I mean, Yankee Twitter is great, especially when they're losing to the Red Sox. It, it's entertaining to watch. It was interesting to watch the series. And of course, I always want to see Aaron Judge. You never know what you're going to get from him. You never know if he's going to show up. It seems like he's on the IL for a day or two, you know, often, but there he is in the ninth inning. He has the opportunity. He had two men on base. He's at bat. There's two outs. And if he hits a home run, they're going to be surpassing the score of the Red Sox. I think it was like they already up to four. And um, he I think the Yankees had two runs. So if Judge hit a home run, he'd be bringing in three runs, maybe five to four. And we go to the bottom of the ninth. But that didn't happen. He struck out, game over, and as he walked back to the dugout, he had such a glare, it felt like it would just penetrate right through your skull looking at it. I posted that on Twitter, but uh, he, it didn't matter. It was over, you know, and you were talking about Booney talking things up, and it's difficult for him. It's difficult for a Cashman, too, to be able to say, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's still early. They, they can't say that anymore, you know. We're getting close to the halfway mark here. It's going to be a couple of weeks. That's going to be it. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, we did a show maybe what a month and a half ago on what's wrong with the Yankees. Looking at them, I don't really know what exactly is wrong with them. Maybe it is leadership. You know, maybe the message has gotten stale. But looking at this series, it's not like the Yankees didn't have their chances. You saw it was Saturday night or Friday night when judge left the two men on base they could have tied that game there or even won it and yesterday they had a chance to tie it they had bases loaded i believe it was five to two at the time or six yeah. six to two or something like that they had a chance to tie the game and the bases were loaded and they they didn't do anything with it so maybe they they just can't cash in on their chances that does seem to be the direction or lack of direction where they're going right now. I, I don't know. The expectations are there. 
Booney will tell you, you know, we've got the team here to do it. He isn't expecting much that far as Cashman bringing in anybody or selling anybody. And, you know, it was that Sunday game was, you know, it was depressing if you're a Yankee fan. I mean, what? There's Garrett Coe, the, the Garrett Coe, and he surrenders four runs in the first inning, Brandon. Four runs. It, it comes to the point where he actually sits down on the mound. I wouldn't say he buried his head, but it was like he needed a moment or two of contemplation to think, what do I do from here? Yeah, and I actually saw on Twitter someone named Alex Spire, Spear. I, I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm sorry. He said that this is the first time in Cole's career that he's ever allowed multiple home runs in the first inning. And he also had another one, too, I can bring up. And I should have been more prepared, but I completely forgot about this. <laughs> um, he said that the three homers allowed by Cole are tied for the most he's allowed in his career. He previously elite, he previously allowed three homers five times, most recently last season against Atlanta. Of course, some of that came in the shape of what? There was two men on base, and I think it was Rafael Devers came up and hit that home run and brought in three of those runs right then. I think, I think somebody else had already hit a home run for the game, but Rafael Devers, and man, if you're not watching him, you need to. This guy... He, you know, and I've talked about him before watching him in bed. He he looks a little a little intense and he's constantly got that big piece of chaw in his mouth while he's up there doing it. But you know, Cole was just he was suffering, man. He was suffering. And we did joke about it yesterday that there's probably gonna be some hot take person out there writing an article. Garrett Cole, no good without the sticky stuff. That that was something we were joking about. That there's, there's we if we look hard enough, we can probably find something like that. Yeah, I don't doubt it, but we'll see. I think he actually did pitch one game prior to this during the sticky stuff inspection, but uh, it was nothing like this. Oh, but Yankee fans, there was a silver lining in this dark weekend. What could that be? Their equipment truck did more damage to the Red Sox than their offense did. <laughs> what do you mean their equipment truck did more da damage? Uh, well, when they were leaving, I guess the garage door didn't open up all the way and it ended up running through it and it was stuck there because the door wouldn't move and they couldn't get out. So the Yankee truck is leaving Fenway, I guess from somewhere inside the stadium. And they got one of those doors that doorways are just opening up and it either went all the way up or they fell down on them and, and they just kind of crashed into it. It looked like from the, the, uh, Post I saw on Twitter. <laughs> Just go to Twitter and type in Yankees equipment truck. You'll find all you need to see. <laughs> the truck is stuck and so are the Yankees. Well, Brandon, I mean, <laughs> we've obviously been very excited about what's going on with the Rays this past week. And we kind of spotlighted a couple of things happening with the Red Sox and Yankees. But where are we now? Are, are the Rays still at the top of the AL East? How's, that, how's the standings coming out? No, despite winning the Red Sox series, really nothing happened in the standings, at least at the top. Red Sox still lead at 47-31, half a game ahead of the Rays, who are 47-32. and The Blue Jays moved into third. They are 40-36, and six games back. And right now, they're the best team in the AL East as they've gone 7-3 over their last 10 games. 
Yankees fell back to fourth. They are 40 and 37, six and a half back. And then the Orioles, 24, 54, 23 games back. It's tough times in Birdland. I, I can't imagine what, you know, Camden Yards uh, must be a sad and lonely place right now. Yeah, don't worry, Orioles fans. Ravens season is just around the corner. Yeah, let's let's take a look a little later, too, about Trey Mancini. And don't know, we'll, we'll see, did he make it to the All-Stars? Did he make it? Is he going to be in the Home Run Derby? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk a little later on that. But looking at me overall, the Blue Jays, not surprisingly to see that they continue to climb. I mean, you look, Vladdy Jr. is making a big difference. You know, there, there's a lot of guys on that team, Bo Bichette. And when we get to the All-Stars here in a few minutes, we'll we'll talk about, you know, which teams are showing up there. And the Blue Jays did show up as far as people who made it through the first phase of the selection selection process for the All-Star game. Okay, now what I'd like to do is talk about the gentleman who's going to be the manager for the American League for the All-Star game. We're talking about the guy who took his team to the A, the A, American League to the World Series last year. Talking about none other than Mr. Kevin Cash. This guy isn't just a protege of the manager before him. You know, talking about Mr. Uh, talking about Mr. Joe Madden. We're talking about a guy who's already established himself in a lot of different ways. I mean, Kevin Kevin's been with the game for some time. Uh, let's see where, where oh he started. I mean, he's in Tampa native, right, Brandon? Yeah, he is. He he actually played at Northside Little League here in Tampa, which actually made it all the way to the World Series. So that was really cool. He also went to Gaither High School, who's their coach at the time, Frank Permuti. He was he was a legend, and he unfortunately passed away about a year ago. He's one of the biggest names in Tampa baseball history, and. I believe I've said it on the show, or at least I've said it to you. He actually went to high school, the same high school as a lot of people from my family did. They didn't go at the same time. They missed each other by about a year or so. So that's something that's always really cool. And he also went to Florida State. So a lot of ties to the Tampa Bay area. Yeah, big Florida boy, big Tampa Bay boy. I mean, starting out everything from a little league to doing everything what he did as well as a high school, et cetera. It was just amazing to see Kevin being integrated with Tampa, you know, for so long. So that's exciting. I mean, and what FS, FSU is looking to see, he, he started 148 games as an infielder. I mean, when I look at Kevin, I always think what he did as a catcher, but I would not necessarily have thought about him as an infielder. He was batted uh, 299 in FSU. Wow. I'd like to have that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. See, he also appeared in two College World Series, 1998 and 1999 for FSU, including a second place finish in 1999. He was voted second team All-American at third base by the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. But... uh I mean, rather outstanding. You know, here even before he went out of college, he was achieving so much. It's good to have a manager who's played the game, and honestly, he's basically still fresh out of the league. This is still relatively recent, all of his experiences. So I think that's really good. He can relate to the players more, you know, because he's closer to their age. He's not like 
certain other managers in baseball where they're like 50 years older than their players, even more in some cases. So, and he seems like he's a likable guy. He stands up for his players, and that really shows in the way that they play for him. It does, and and because he has done so many different things, without going into his full player history, you know, he had some ups and downs, and you know, he took on he wanted the catch position, but his at bat stuff later on wasn't the greatest. Uh, but people like Francona, I think, who had managed him at one team, later brought. Kevin on as his bench coach for Cleveland. It is interesting to note that from going from being a bench coach, Cleveland, Kevin went on further to the Tampa Bay Rays, but that was back in December 5th, 2014. You know, what's interesting about that is the day that he became on, he was the youngest manager in the league at that time. Kevin's now 43 years old, and that was the day before his birthday. It's kind of an early birthday present. Oh, by the way, here you are. You are now the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. And tomorrow's your birthday, but we thought we'd go ahead and give it to you now. But he earned that. He, he And he's earned it over and over again since he's been a manager. Yeah, he has. And, you know, sometimes I've agreed with what he does. Sometimes I haven't. And I made that perfectly clear. It's more of like an organizational philosophy with a lot of the things. And, you know... No matter what the decision is, he will stand by it. He'll support his players, support his team, organization, and everything. And like I said earlier, it may sound like a broken record. That's why everybody loves to play for him is because no matter what, he'll have your back, even though it may not make sense to everybody else. He, he'll make a decision, he'll stand by it, and he'll support it no matter what. He does. I mean, and we all know there's been questions about when to pull a pitcher, and that has come back with some nasty reflection from the public. But the players themselves basically say, hey, I came here to work with Kevin Cash. Kevin Cash knows what he's doing. I'm more than happy to follow the skipper's, you know, what he's telling me out there. You know, a good pitcher is always wants to stay on the mound, but they respect their manager. They respect his results. And they realize that he will stand behind them. Heaven knows he stood behind him when the Yankees, a Rodgers Chapman was throwing at you know, Mike Brasso, the race, and practically hit him in the head. He thought, what, pitch over 100 miles per hour. Cash made it back to the postgame interview, and, man, you know, he was, he was angry. You know, he, had, he had that statement where he said, okay, that, that's probably not <laughs> – he probably doesn't look at that as his best shining moment of his career, and I think he kind of walked it back a little bit later. But the thing of it was, he stood up for those players. He stood up for his boys, you know, and that meant a lot to them. You know, th- that's who he is. He isn't out there throwing out threats all the time. And even that, like I said, he didn't necessarily say it was a threat, but he was passionate at that moment. He's passionate for his team, and he shared it. All right. And I like that. That's what I want in my manager. He stands up for his players. And he basically went up there in that press conference and says, I don't give a you-know-what who you are. If you're the Yankees or if you're a single-A team, you're not going to do this to my guys. And if you want to play that way, we can play that way too. We're not scared of you. That's what I think. I, that's what I want in my leader. Well, I agree. 
And I certainly feel much better about Kevin Cash than I did with Joe Girardi trying to stand up for, I want me to check out that glove. I'm, I got to stand behind my team. <laughs> no, but, but Kevin, Kevin said fantastic. I mean, in the age of COVID, to take a team to the World Series. And, you know, he also won the manager of the year. He, let's see, who was it? Was it, I think it was, uh, was it Don Mattingly in 2020? And I believe so. Yeah, yeah. He, so in the age of COVID, and of course the celebration was a Zoom call from his house. <laughs> that was kind of sad. Okay, well, let's hear what uh, his old coach Terry Francona had to say. I'm so proud of you. We knew when we had him in Cleveland that we weren't going to be able to keep him very long. And that's a big compliment because he made such a big impact in such a short amount of time. He's just getting better and better, and I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the Rays, and I'm thrilled for his family. Well, that kind of goes to the gist of it. I mean, the respect that Cash has for from his players, but he also has it from other managers as well. And he, let, Let's take a look for a moment, if we will, Brandon, about who some of the folks who have come on as coaches at the at the race and who've done other things since then. Some of these have been working uh, directly with Cash, and some have been there before. So we can start like with Charlie Montoya. He's manager of the Blue Jays now, but he joined the uh, Tampa Bay Devil Rays the year before the expansion team even played in the major leagues. He was manager of the rookie-level Princeton Devil Rays, the defunct Princeton Devil Rays, who disappeared after the contraction. Let's see, after eight seasons as a manager of the Durham Bulls, he was moved up to third base coach with the Rays, and that was back in 2015. So Montoyo, let's see, was, after the 2017, he became the Rays bench coach, and October 25th, 2018, Montoyo was hired by the Blue Jays as their new manager. Yeah, Montoyo, I think that's really cool. I mean, we talk about Cash like he's still this young kid out there. He's got a little bit of a coaching tree going, of course. Montoyo was the latest of them to drift out there onto his own. Baldilly was one as well. And I remember Montoyo coming on as the third base coach, and then they moved him to bench coach. And he seemed to really do a good job. And I mean, I think he's doing a pretty good job in Toronto as well, even though they've had a little bit of a slow start they've gotten going recently. And with that future ahead of him, I think he could do bright things as well. Maybe just as good as cash, if not better. Yeah. He's got a good, strong young team and he's, they've done a lot to build that since he's been there. So I'm looking for great things from you. And, and you mentioned Rocco Baldelli. What, what was, what's going on with him? Yeah. He's with the, the twins now he's their manager and, you know, he was drafted by the Rays. He played here his whole career pretty much, and he had these big expectations. Unfortunately, he couldn't reach those, you know, no fault of his own. He unfortunately had a disease that, you know, I guess basically affected his muscles and made him tired so much quicker. And I believe before he was even 30, I think he was 29, it got to a point where he couldn't do it anymore. So he retired and went into coaching, and he became a really good coach, and I was hoping one day he could maybe become a Rays manager, but that doesn't seem possible, at least at the moment. And he moved on to the Twins. He did a really good job his first few years. They haven't won a playoff series, unfortunately, yet. Had a 
have a bad year going right now and hopefully he he can keep going there because i'm rooting for him everybody here loves him he's one of the fan favorites from the devil rays days and i hope that he he finds success and maybe one day they can all meet each other in the playoffs that could be you know and and the the interesting thing about baldelli too is is that um while cash was awarded the AL manager of the year in 2020 didn't uh didn't Rocco get that in 2019 yes he did and I believe you told me he was the youngest manager to win that award at like 38 I believe that's what it was Rocco was just amazing and so it's it's interesting though looking at another coach from the Rays but not so much under uh cash was Davey Martinez you know, he was a bench coach, I think, under Joe Madden's day. Joe Madden was, I think, from 2006 to 2014. And we had, uh, see, Davey was here. Martinez worked for the Rays as a spring training instructor in 2006 and 2007. On, see, in October 2007, he was hired by the Rays as a bench coach. And as the Rays bench coach, he was in charge of defensive positioning and he also worked with the, the players on their bunting and base running. Something they're doing, not so much bunting, but the base running are doing really well now. Once Madden decided he was going to leave Tampa Bay and go to the Cubs, the Rays had to look for somebody else. So before they decided on cash, Martinez seemed like a really good prospect for that position. So much so that players like Ben Zobris, Alex Cobb, and Evan Longoria said, Hey, go ahead, bring this guy in. You know, he's the one. He's the one we like. He should be managing the team. But no, the Rays decided otherwise, and we got Kevin Cash. So, yeah, it seemed like everybody really wanted Davey to take over. I mean, it seemed like it was it meant it was meant to happen. He was under Madden all those years, almost like the, the manager in waiting, and when he left, everybody was like, Hey, we need to slot Martinez in there. And everybody loves him. Everybody knows him. The uh, system doesn't really have to change at all. They can just keep going as is. But it seemed like the Rays, they just wanted to go in a different direction and move on from the the Madden era. And now we're in the cash era. Yeah. Yeah. So, Well, I think you're right. Sometimes you, it's like having somebody who leaves your workplace and say, yeah, you know who you should hire? You should hire this other guy. And it's like, well, you know what? You left us. And we want to go in another direction. We've been looking at you, Joe, for a while, so maybe they were or were not happy to see him go. But at that point, the Rays have been always ready to make a new direction if necessary. Neander, I think, recently referred to himself as ruthless when he had to make some decisions. So, Hey, it's not like it worked out too bad for him. He got two World Series rings out of that, that deal. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. And and of course, Davey's doing pretty good there, right? Yeah, he is. He, of course, won his first ring with the Cubs, and then he also won it with the another one with the Nationals as their manager. And I mean, look at the Nationals this year; they could, they're still a little bit dangerous, and who knows what they could do? Can never, never rule them out. Yeah, we're going to be facing them soon, so I want to see how that goes. We'll see. Well, you know, Brandon, we were talking about a lot of these other coaches who became managers, and. Montoyo, you know, he'd been 
a manager of the Durham Bulls. And you don't just start out with the major leagues. You know, and one of the things we found out is with the Rays having probably one of the best farm systems, period, you know, what we found out is there's just a lot of talent there. So that being said, let's take a quick look at what's going on in the Rays minor leagues. And, of course, as a moment ago mentioned, there are no longer a Princeton Rays. That is that is defunct. And we no longer have the uh, Hudson Valley Renegades because that team, we basically traded them off for another team, which is the, which is the Charleston River Dogs. And let's see what else. We also lost the Stone Crabs. So let's focus on the good stuff. Durham Bulls, what's happening there? Right now, they are number one in the AAA Southwest with 31 wins and 15 losses. With a percentage, win-loss percentage of 674. In their last 10 games, they won seven of those. Seven, seven wins, three losses. Home, they're 14-9. and nine. Road, 17-6. and six. That's always interesting to me when you see a stronger showing on the road than you do at home. Yeah, that is. You usually want to, like, maybe be average at on the road and excel at home, but maybe they just want to be a little bit different. Well, they're doing well, so we'll see how they continue for the rest of the season. This may be a day old, so folks, stats may be slightly different. Montgomery Biscuits, Double A uh, South, they're not doing quite as well as Durham. You know, we're, we're seeing them, and let's see, they are – Third out of four teams, they are how many games back? They're seven games back. Mississippi leads that division there, and then Pensacola, and then Montgomery, and then Biloxi. Then we make our way up to Bowling Green, Kentucky, with the Hot Rods. I love that name. Bowling Green Hot Rods. You know, one of the reasons I think they call it that is because they got a Corvette plant where they built the Corvettes nearby. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Bowling Green, if you ever go through Bowling Green, Kentucky, you have to stop at the Corvette Museum. It's amazing. I usually stop there every time I, I go up to Kentucky. But uh, they've got a display of, of all these, you know, all the different models of the cars and the history, etc. I digress. Coming back to the Bowling Green Hot Rods, how are they doing in their uh, high A South? They also are leading, are they, Brandon? They're 30 wins and 15 losses. They are, but unlike the Bulls, they they dominate at home and are average on the road. Yeah, you you just you just don't know. And then I'm always curious to look and see what's happened with the Charleston River Dogs because there we are with you know a brand new team falling underneath our banner, and they're leading also their division. They're uh, 30 wins and 15 losses, and they've won eight out of their uh, last 10 games. So huge impact. That's pretty impressive and is a, a testament to the depth of the entire organization. When all of all but one team from the majors to the lowest levels of the minors are leading their divisions. Yeah, and I think that's kind of tells the tale when you're you're saying where are the where's the strong farm system? And it's one of the reasons that uh it's a way of reflecting that with the Rays. Okay, while this is a special raise-up edition to Baseball Biz, there is some business we need to take care of, Brandon. I'm talking about the upcoming Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And, man, oh, man, it's still fresh. We've gone through the first phase 
of the balance in picking the players. Now, Brandon and I are going to do a show next week with a little bit more detail about the All-Star Games coming up. And looking at at the American League All-Star finalists, it's interesting to see there are absolutely no Tampa Bay Rays on this team. Uh, Catcher, I thought maybe we might see Mike Zanino here. He didn't make that cut. But we've got players from Kansas City, Astros, White Sox. You know, uh, I wasn't surprised to see Osmani Grandal there. Was there anybody there that stuck out to you as catcher that you thought you would or wouldn't see? I mean, honestly, at the catcher position, no, not really. I mean, I think I could make the case for Zanino being there, but. Honestly, I think in the catcher position, those three players are deserving of their their spot. I get that. Uh, Well, let's just – we'll kind of quickly go down this because we're going to do a deep dive next time out. First base, Vlad Jr., Yuli Gurriel, Jose Abreu. Second base, Marcus Simeon, Jose Altuve, DJ LeMayhew. Third base, Rafael Devers, not surprised to see him at all, Alex Bregman and Moncado. Uh, Shortstop – you got Xander Bogarts, Bo Bichette, again, not surprised. Carlos Correa, designated hitter, Shohei Otani. And then you got to see uh, J.D. Martinez and Jordan Alvarez. Outfield, Mike Trout, which is a, not going to happen because the poor guy's injured right now. Aaron Judge, Byron Bruxton, Michael Brantley, Teoscar Hernandez, Cedric Mullins, Alex Verdugo, and Randall Grinchick. And I was hoping to see a Rosarino, maybe even Kiermaier, you know, up there in the outfield position. I mean, I know, you know, Kiermaier is not as strong as the plate of the Rosarino, and a Rosarino is not as strong in the field as Kiermaier is. But, I mean, on the, the run that a Rosarino did last year in the playoffs and what he's done so far this year, I think that he he would be deserving of being a finalist. I agree. I mean, he he does pretty daggone good on the field, and I don't think he's necessarily had the what the strength or expectations in the last few games that I'd like to see from him, but he definitely deserved to be there as a finalist. You want to take a look here? What we got with the National League All Stars? You want to go down that list? Yeah, we can if you would like. Go ahead if you don't mind. All right, at catcher we have Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, and Wilson Contreras. Posey, of course, is a part of those Giants who they're still chugging along. Maybe we should start taking them a little bit more seriously. Yeah. First base, you have Max Muncy, Freddie Freeman, and Anthony Rizzo. That's a really strong position group right there. Second base, you have Ozzy Albies, Adam Frazier, and Gavin Lux. Third base, Chris Bar- Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, and Justin Turner, another really strong ba- strong position group. At short, Fernando Tatis Jr., Javier Baez, and Brandon Crawford. And in the outfield, you have Ronald Acuna Jr., Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Mookie Betts, Chris Taylor, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Jock Peterson, Jock Peterson, and Mike Yastrzemski. Okay, so here we come up. It's going to be the 2021 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Brandon and I will give you our picks next week. And also dig a little bit deeper into finding out who's going to be pitching. Because you and I, Brandon, and everybody else who's a fan, we're not able to vote on that, okay? In phase one, fans vote on all of that. 
So phase two is should be starting, I think, maybe today. And when it does come to the pitchers, MLB makes those decisions. So I'm really curious to see what, what they come up with. I believe Rich Hill and Tyler Glasnow should definitely be in that that little rotation. Yeah. I, I hope Tyler is, is of strength and ready to do that because I would love to see those. And especially since Kevin Cash is going to be managing that team, I'd like to see at least a couple of rays on there, please. So, yeah, Rich Hill would definitely be great. And if Tyler's up to it, man, that would make a difference. You know, I used to always say, oh, well, why would you want to have a player in the All-Star game? That's just one more game where they could get hurt. But it's a great place for us as fans to see all of these guys in one game shine. And I think there's a bit of pride for each individual player, too, for it. Yeah, there is. And I put it on Twitter. I thought it was always cool and one of my favorite parts to see all those uniforms out there and all the All-Stars out there wearing their uniform. And it was always cool to see the Rays uniform in the dugout or out on the field. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that that this year because baseball made those god-awful, horrendous all-star uniforms. So that unfortunately went away, but it's going to be cool having the all-star game back, even though, you know, it started to seem like it lost its luster a little bit, but maybe this will bring back a little bit more of the love for it. But also coming up here, time to shine. Here we are in the middle of the season, the Home Run Derby. Monday, July 12th, 2021. And that's always exciting. And again, Brandon, I've always been the man, do you, would somebody potentially hurt themselves? Would they exert themselves too much hitting? I don't think that's ever really been a problem. But it's interesting to see who's going to come. And not surprising, Pete Alonso's going to be back there again. Anyway. He's won it in the past. That'll be exciting. Another hometown kid and. Maybe that can be a topic for our All-Star show is, you know, the risk to the All-Star game and home run derby. Ooh, yeah. Might want to do a little, I'll do a little homework on that one. Uh, what's interesting, too, about this home run derby is looking at who's not coming. Early on, Vladdy Jr. said, you know what, no, not going to be there. And I think Tatis Jr., who's kind of in competition with him in many capacities, said, no, I'm not going to be there either. It was Maybe it was health reasons, but it couldn't be too much health reasons when the other day, in the first four innings of a game, he had three home runs. You know, uh, you got Otani. You know, he's going to be coming. So I'm excited to see that. And so, anyway, that's what's happening. Well, let's come back to the Rays once again and see what the upcoming games we got. We're talking about the Nationals facing Davey Martinez again. And then we're going to be facing the Blue Jays and yet another manager to be faced once again and Mr. Charlie Montoyo. So both of those games will be exciting. I'm really curious to see how this plays out. You know, we've been, we're now half a game behind the the uh, Red Sox and uh, keep watching, man. You know, it's, it's almost midseason here. See what's going to happen with the AL East. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. We're Definitely going to have a lot to talk about when we come back. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that had really pretty much been taking over everything as far as MLB topics, and that was sticky stuff. What was going on? Did you see something going on up here in Seattle the other day, Brandon? Yeah, and we're about a week into the sticky stuff situation, and you think still a week everybody would be, you know, on their toes, you know, 
doing everything they can not to get caught. But Hector Santiago, whether he was using sticky stuff or not, they're trying to say it was rosin and it was just mixed with sweat. It becomes stickier. I guess that's what they're trying to say that it was. And maybe it was. I can't tell I wasn't there. We'll find out soon when the report comes out on it. But he could be suspended 10 games for this. And he unfortunately gets the the honor of being the first pitcher ejected in the sticky stuff inspection era and he will now unfortunately be the butt of that joke until the end of time <laughs> who's that oh you mean Hector Santiago yeah I remember him what was his average well I don't know his average but I do remember he was the first guy to get pulled aside about sticky stuff and take his glove away and send it to the lab you know we're, we're going to find out what works and what doesn't work with these rules and I think this will be the template for part of that discovery uh, well, the, the, the enforcement is very simple. You know, the umpire makes the decision right then and there. I don't think it's really up for review, at least not at that moment. And the, the thing as far as the, how can you identify that? Will there's, we've talked about, will there be some kind of sanctioned sticky stuff in the future? And with Mr. Santiago, with him and his manager arguing, Hey, you know, I thought you were kidding when you said this. I, only thing I've had is the rosin. And, well, we found something in your glove. Well, bingo, no big surprise. I picked up the rosin bag at the bottom of my mound here, and I picked it up, and I kind of pitch it back and forth between my left and my right hand, you know, trying to get get it on there. So guess what? I put one of my hands into the glove, and you found it in there. I, it seems simple, but I'm sure it isn't. And what will really tell the tale is once they do a little testing on that glove. And if they say sweat and rosin, is the wrong thing to have, saying that that's still considered a foreign substance, then they're going to have to uh, address it, make some new rules. It'll be interesting to follow. Maybe when we come back, we'll we'll have the verdict on it, and we can talk about it then. Yeah. Well, Brandon, it's been another great day here looking at the wild and crazy world of baseball with a special Raise Up edition. And remember, everybody, you can find Brandon at Sports Blitz Pod and me, Mark Corbett, at the baseball biz on Twitter. So we hope to hear from you soon on there. Things have been exciting and watch out for the sticky stuff. We look forward to talking with you guys again real soon. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for the music stomps and claps.